Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad you made it to church. We had a great service in our first in our first service at 9:30, and um, I'm going to tell y'all what y'all pray for me because I'm going to I gave them all. I'm going to give you all. Okay. If I give all and you don't give all, I'm going to be a little frustrated with it. I, I want you to join in today. So I told them this. I'm going to tell you this. I need you to warm up your amens. I need you to get your hands ready to clap. Brother David can't be here. He's with Sister Melba. So every once in a while, somebody needs to say, preach. Brother David, that's for you. Or glory. Say something loud, but let me know you're with me. Because I'm coming today with a message that the Lord gave me. And I know that God's going to bless us today. And I've been carrying this one for a few weeks, just waiting to be able to preach it. And God's going to bless us. Amen. And Brother Daniel, we're praying for you and your family. His grandfather is like a father to him. And uh, very close. And so, I know that's a big loss, big void. The Lord's going to be with you. Amen. Amen. I am. Uh, we're going to pray together. I'm not going to read a text because I'm going to get into some scriptures here in just a moment. But let us pray together right now and ask God to bless the preaching of His Word. Lord, we love You. And we magnify You. We lift up Your holy name, Jesus. I'm asking right now, God, that you would minister in this house today in a mighty way. In, in a way that we know that we have encountered the presence of the Lord. Let there be a demonstration of your spirit and of your power. And if somebody's watching today and they have a miracle, God, I pray that as they respond to this message, you would work not just in this room, but work in the rooms, in the places where people may view this message. In Jesus' name, God bless you. You may be seated. Though I'm not reading a, a text, I do need to give you my subject. And I'm giving you my subject, and I'm giving you the other subject that my wife thought was more appropriate. Okay? The one my wife felt like would be a better subject it sounded better, she said, is provoking God. Provoking God. That's what I'm preaching about, okay? But the, the title I wanted to give to this message is a little bit more um, interesting. It's provocateurs. The provocateurs. That's what I would have called it. But my wife said, that sounds a little... Shady. So let's call it provoking God. <laughs> and all you guys that are glad you have somebody to just pull your reins back every once in a while, say amen. Amen. The rest of you can say, oh me. <laughs> there is a man in the Bible whose name is Moses. And Moses is now, today, he is a part of that great cloud of witnesses that I was referencing earlier. Moses stands with them today. He is, a, he is a patriarch of the faith. He is a man that the Lord spoke to. Of course, he was drawn from the river, the Nile River. He was drawn from that river and he was uh, taken and... and Till he was weaned, he was with his mother, and then he was taken to Pharaoh's palace where he lived as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But the point came in his life when he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses left that life of luxury. He held on to what had been instilled in him in those few years in his parents' home. Five, six, seven years he was in his parents' home, and yet in those years, something was put inside of him that lasted the entirety of his life. Now, if you don't talk about it when you rise up, 
and you don't talk about it when you lay down, and you don't talk about it when you sit, and you don't talk about it when you go, then your kids may not hold on to this. But if you will talk about it, and you will train them up in the way that they should go, I really do believe the Scripture that has said that when they are old, they will not depart from it. And I believe that if your child is backslidden, you're going to see them come back to God. If we have put these things in them, there is a, there is a hold on them through the Spirit of God that is not going to be undone in the name of Jesus. And if you believe that, say amen. 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 Moses had that kind of a connection to his heritage and to where he came from. And so, when he left Egypt after he killed an Egyptian soldier, he leaves Egypt and he's in that wilderness and he's taking care of the sheep of the man who became his father-in-law. And one day he sees that bush that burns, but it's not consumed. So Moses goes to the bush and the Lord tells him, Moses, I want you to go. And I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him that I have said to let my people go. Let them go. You're not going to have them any longer. They don't belong to you, Pharaoh, but they belong to the Lord. He said, you're going to have signs. You're going to throw a rod down. It's going to turn into a serpent. You'll pick it up by the tail and it'll become a, a rod of, uh, or a staff of wood again. He said, you're going to put your hand inside of your garment. When you pull it out, it's going to be white as snow, but you're going to put it back in and bring it out, and it'll be whole again. These are just some ways. You're going to turn water into blood, and then it's going to be, be made uh, pure again. And Moses, Pharaoh will fight you, and he will not let them go easily. And there is going to be some battles that you're going to have to engage in, Moses. But at the end of it, you're going to come out of the land of Egypt. Now think about it. What a great man Moses must have been in a day when he did not have the helps that we have today. He didn't have the networking ability we have. He did not have phones and telegraph and radio and a television or the internet or anything like that. And yet that man led some two, two and a half to three million people out of the land of Egypt. And he did not only lead them out, but he led them out in a way that was fascinating. Because they came, Egyptians did, and they gave their money. And they gave their gold. And they gave their precious things that they had accumulated over the years. So that when Israel left, though they had been a slaved people, they left with great wealth and a multitude of things that God would use for them. And so, when they leave and they go into um, the land, or the, excuse me, the wilderness, they crossed, of course, that Red Sea. That Red Sea that stood before them so imposing. And then Pharaoh's army, as they came behind them, because Pharaoh had decided, I don't want to let them go. And yet God spoke to them. And God said, that's okay, Pharaoh, just stretch that rod out over the sea. And as he did, the wind began to blow. And it blew all night long to the point that the waters stood up. And Israel went through on dry ground. But not only did they go through on that dry, solid, hardened ground, but Pharaoh, when his army finally got to it, that hardened ground became mud. And their wheels were stuck in it. And they couldn't go any further. And then the the waves and the water crashed down on them. And that entire army was destroyed simply by a supernatural act of a mighty God. I need to stop right now and I need to remind you that we serve a mighty God of supernatural acts. I want to go on record. You say, well, don't you have a mask? I've got a mask. Have you worn it? Yeah, I've worn it. I've gone in places where I put this on. And I'll continue to go in places where I put this on. But don't you think simply because we take a precaution 
that we have neglected to believe in the ability of our God. Our God is just as able as He has ever been. I want you to know He is still a healer. I want you to know He is still able to separate the water. He is still able to destroy the enemy. And that there is nothing that is too hard for Him. There is nothing too hard for Him. So Israel came through that Red Sea. They got on the other side. They shouted. They rejoiced. They shook the tambourines. We don't allow those. You know, the devil don't allow some things, old song said around here. There's a couple things we won't allow either. <laughs> no, if you bring one in, we might live. But no, no, no. You know what? We just don't allow it. Let me just. Somebody, so you give, you give somebody an inch, Sister Linda, they will take a mile every time. They got the tambourines. They began to shout, sing. Moses wrote a song. Miriam and the maidens, they all sang that song. They glorified God for what he had done. And yet, when they got on the other side of that Red Sea, really even before they crossed the Red Sea, they were already having issues with God in the way that God was bringing them out. And so, I'm going to go to that in just a moment, but before I really get into that, there is something that I felt last night the Lord prompted to me that I need to preach to you for just a moment on the way there. Israel did go through a wilderness for 40 years. They, they lived in that wilderness for 40 years. But I want to tell you that even though it was not the will of God that they were in the wilderness for 40 years, those 40 years were not altogether unproductive years. Because God did something in the middle of that wilderness that couldn't uh, maybe have even really happened any other way. God made sure that even though you are going through this, I am going to allow this to be a place of benefit to you if you'll let it. It was not what the wilderness did to Israel that mattered as much as what the wilderness did for Israel that mattered. That's really what the important thing was. And I would say to you today that while we're going through coronavirus and all of this, if you do not allow coronavirus in the time that we are in right now to do something for you, then what it will do instead is it will do something to you. It will affect you one way or the other. Now you can sit back and be passive and let things happen to you. Or you can make up your mind that in the middle of this, I'm going to let it do something for me. Let me tell you what it can do for you. This could drive you to a deeper place in prayer than you have ever been before. This could drive you to a greater consecration than you've ever had before. This could drive you to communion with God like you have never known. This could bring you to a place that nothing else might would have brought you to if you will let it. Now don't let things happen to you. But let this be used to work for you. Can you say amen? amen? And then Israel, they go into this wilderness. And again, they're there for 40 long years. Again, it's 40 years that God did not intend on them having. He will take those years and redeem them if he needs to. But I suggest that we just let God do it his way the first time, every time. Can you say amen to that? So, Deuteronomy chapter 9 and beginning at verse 7, the Bible says this. Remember and forget not how thou provoked the Lord thy God to wrath. Everybody say to wrath. You provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt... Until you came unto this place, ye have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Notice that. So that the Lord was angry with you, that he would have destroyed you. 
But Moses, when God said, I would destroy you, I'm so frustrated with you, and I'm so disappointed in you, and you are not holding on to anything that I gave to you. When he was going to destroy the people of Israel, the Bible said that Moses stood up and said, Don't do it, God. Don't destroy these people. They belong to you. They're my brothers and my sisters, God. And if you're going to destroy them, then you're going to have to destroy me. And God said, Moses... Step aside. I'll make of you a great nation. Let me wipe them out. And Moses said, no God, I don't want it to be about me. I love these people and I know you do too, Lord. So God, I'm going to stand in the gap for them. And I feel a little bit like that's what I've been doing through this uh, pandemic we've been in. As a pastor, I've been praying and I've been saying, God... If there's anybody that's slipping right now. If there's anybody that's moving away from you right now. I pray Lord that you would allow me to be one that would stand in the gap for those people. I don't want to see them lost. I don't want to see them destroyed. God help me to stand in the gap. I wonder if there's anybody that wants to stand in the gap for your brothers and your sisters. And those maybe that aren't where they need to be with God right now. All of us, all of us are connected to people. A friend, a family member, a spouse, a loved one. We're connected to somebody that needs us to stand in the gap for them right now. When God is provoked to wrath, we need to be there praying. We need to be there seeking after the Lord. I wonder how many people have been spared because somebody said, God, not today. Don't let, don't let them go today, Lord. I've got, I've got a call on your name for them one more time. Psalm 95 and 8, the Bible says, Harden not your heart as in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers, notice this, tempted me, proved me, and they saw my work, But even so, for 40 long years was I grieved with this generation. And I said, it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. So you see in these scriptures, and these are just two of many. You can read them all through the Bible. And I told the first service, it'd be a great study for you to look about how God was provoked to wrath. When he was provoked to wrath. What provoked God to wrath? To go look at those things. And it's many times. But I highlight these two scriptures today because these are two of the ones that mention the provocation in the wilderness. When Israel caused God. To become so full of wrath that he would have destroyed them. And instead of destroying them, he made sure that they wandered in that wilderness for 40 years. What provoked him to wrath? What did they do that caused God to be full of wrath? I'm going to tell you. They doubted God. They murmured against the Lord. They complained about what they had. They rebelled against His Word. And they did that which was right in their own eyes. And that pushed God to the point that they provoked Him to wrath. Even though He brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, they provoked Him to wrath. Even though He brought them through a Red Sea, they provoked Him to wrath. Even though he was with them in a wilderness, they provoked him to wrath. Manna every day. The quail came. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes never tore. All of those things. A rock followed them all of the time. And yet there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And yet seeing all of those things, they still provoked God. Now I've got to tell you right now. We need to be careful that we don't get this far and we don't forget what God has done and begin to provoke the Lord. One of the things that's been in my heart while we've been on lockdown or quarantine, whatever you want to call it, 
Uh, and I know it's been worse in some places than others. But one of the things that has been on my heart is that we would not forget that our God is still able. Just because we're dealing with this does not mean our God is not able. And it does not mean our God is not greater. And it does not mean our God cannot come through for you. Don't you be filled with doubt. Don't you murmur. Don't you complain. Don't you rebel. And don't you start doing what you think is right. If you've ever needed to stand on the word of God. And if you've ever needed to be uh, faithful to the word of God. This is that day. You need to stand up and say as for me in my house. We will serve the Lord. Now that is what Israel did that provoked God to wrath. But I am talking about being a provocateur today of another kind. There is another side to the provocation of God. That word provoke, it means to incite. It means to cause someone to do something. And so that's what Israel did in the wilderness. They incited the Lord to do something. They continually provoked him to wrath over and over. They allowed themselves to fall into the pit of their iniquity and their humanity. But it is this other provocation that we are going to engage in today. And before you walk out of this room, in the name of Jesus, we're getting ready to provoke God to do some things on our behalf that are going to blow your mind. Get ready because it's about to happen. We did not gather here today to doubt God. We did not gather here today to complain or talk about how bad we have it or talk about how frustrated we are. But we came here today to say, God, we're ready for you to do what only you can do. God, we're ready for you to work. We're ready for you to reveal your help yourself. What will provoke God on this Sunday In May, the first thing that I want to preach to you about is your faith. Everybody say my faith. faith. Matthew chapter number 8 and verse number 5. The Bible says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion. Can someone bring me a, 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 a tissue, please? Thank you. There came unto Jesus a centurion as he came into Capernaum, and he was beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word Only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, I say, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith No, not in Israel. The Lord said, I haven't found a faith like this in Israel. If there was anybody that should have had faith for God to work simply by His Word, it should have been Israel. Weren't they the people who believed in the beginning God said? And it was Aren't they the people who believe that by His power He upholds all things by His Word? That was the people of God. And yet Jesus did not see that kind of faith among them. And when this man who was a Gentile came and said, Lord, if you will just speak the Word, I know it will happen. Jesus said, let me tell you something. He spoke to all that were around him that day. He spoke to the church in front of him. He said, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and many shall come from the west. And they, everybody say they. They shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
He is saying there that there are going to be Gentiles that are going to come out of the east. And there are going to be Gentiles that are going to come out of the west. And those people are going to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He said, but let me tell you something. The children of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter darkness. There shall be weeping and there shall be gnashing of teeth. Why? He said, because those people that are outside of the nation of Israel, if they've got the faith to believe that I can do it, if it's just said, then that's the kind of people I want a part of my family. And if I've got to push somebody else out to make room for them, I will. I want to tell you right now, God's getting ready to go wherever he's got to go. He's going to find whoever he's got to find. He's going to pull them from wherever. They could come out of the gutter. They could come out of the, 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 the gated communities. They could come out of anywhere they need to. But God is going to have a people who are going to believe his word. And they're going to stand on his word. And when it's all said, Said and done, they're going to see a move of God. <laughs> Jesus looked back at that man. He said, go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self same hour. Notice what Jesus said. He, he did not say, servant, be healed. Jesus did not say, What's your servant's name? His name is John. John, be healed. Jesus just said, As you have said, Let it be done unto you. I don't need to say it. If you'll just say it, believing I can back it up, that'll be enough. Let it be done as you have said. And I am hoping that in our church today, there are some people that say, God, I need you to do something. Lord, this is what I need you to do. And I'm praying somebody starts calling things that are not as though they already were. So that God can back you up. And when you get home today, I believe there's going to be a miracle taking place. I believe you're going to see the end of the thing from the beginning. Jesus is willing to gather from the east and west and let them sit down with the patriarchs. Let them sit down with the original Jews in the kingdom of heaven. But church folks who forfeited their faith, he said, I'm going to cast them into outer darkness. That is how much our God responds to faith. And when that centurion came to him, when he said what he said to him, it provoked God. It pulled something out of God. He said, "My all I've been looking for is a people who would talk to me like this. Is a people who would believe me like this. I want to remind you that you have not because you ask not. If you don't ask God, then I don't want to hear you complain. But maybe there's somebody that says, I've got to get up on my feet. I've got to shout it out. Lord, would you do it again? Come on and shout amen. It was his faith that provoked God. Then there's a man in Mark chapter number 3. This man is uh, in the synagogue. 3 and 1 of Mark says, He entered again into the synagogue. There was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, the Pharisees did, whether he would heal this man on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. They wanted Jesus to violate the laws of the Sabbath so that they could accuse Jesus of being a false prophet. But what they did not understand is that Jesus was bringing us into another dispensation. He was moving us from law to the church age. And in the church age... Your need trumps your tradition. Your need is greater than your tradition. And he said, it doesn't really matter to me that there's a tradition against this. That these Pharisees have so convoluted the law. And they have taken the spirit. That's the problem. The problem was never that the law was so harsh that it would have not allowed this man to be healed. 
The problem was that those Pharisees had neglected the spirit of the law and added to the letter of the law. And we had better be careful that in our hunger to follow the things of God and the principles of God, we don't violate the principle of God by not adhering to the spirit of God. Do you hear what I'm preaching? You'd better make sure that you don't put burdens on people that he didn't put on them. You better make sure that you don't saddle people with stuff that God did not put on them. You and I need to make sure that we allow the Spirit of God to work. And if the Spirit of God's not moving, you need to keep your mouth shut. But let the Spirit of God move first, and then the Word of God can go forth. Go read Genesis. Genesis said, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. And God said, it's Spirit and then it's Word. It's Spirit and then it's law or letter. These people, these Pharisees want to watch Jesus. What are you going to do? And so Jesus saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? To save life or to kill. But they just held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. In the middle of that synagogue, there are two groups of people. That are provoking the Lord. There are two groups that are provoking him. There is the Pharisees that are provoking him to wrath. Because of the hardness of their hearts. And there is a man with a withered hand. Who had a need. And that need was calling to God too. And I thank God that he saw the need. Higher than he saw their own tradition. And I'm telling you right now in this church. One of the things I am, I am so adamant about in our church. Is that we make sure that we don't fancy this thing up to the point. Where we cannot have a genuine move of God. I thank God for what we have. I thank God for how nice it all is. I thank God for the comforts in this building. But I am going to tell you right now, we had better make sure that we still have a move of God. If you don't know how to shout, shame on you. If you don't know how to clap your hands, shame on you. If you don't know how to dance, shame on you. If you don't know how to lift your voice, shame on you. If we can do it in other places, we ought to be able to do it more in the house of God. We must make sure that we don't get to the place those Pharisees were. That they would have rather seen a man come in lame and go out lame than to see God mess up their service and do a work in the middle of it. It doesn't bother me. Matter of fact, I was praying last night. And I said, God, it wouldn't bother me one bit if while I'm preaching this message tomorrow morning, if people start getting up out of their seats and people start shouting and calling on you and I can't finish this message because somebody's lifting their voice above my... It won't bother me one bit, God, because more than I want to preach my sermons, I want to have a move of the Holy Ghost. I don't want to come here and leave the same way. I want to leave differently than we came. Jesus said, you are healed. You are healed. And so, we'd better be careful. That we are not putting our program and we're not putting our order of things above God being able to do what God wants to do. You're going to provoke him with that attitude. You're going to find the wrath of God come down on you if you've got that attitude. But oh, if there's somebody that's willing to come in and say, I have a need. That man couldn't go in the temple. That man was disallowed from going in the temple because he was not whole. 
he could not go into the temple. But even though, I love it, even though he could not go into the temple, he said, I'm going to go just as far close to God as I can. And if I can't get in the temple, but I can get in the synagogue, then I'm going to the synagogue. And I'll go there and I'll let God do what he can do in my life there. I may not be able to go into the church building, but I'm going to be online. Because if I can't be in the building, then I want God to touch me online. Whatever you've got to do, you just better make sure that you go as far as you possibly can. And if you'll go as far as you possibly can with a need, you will provoke God. Clap your hands. Amen. There was a boy. You find him in John 6. You find him in Luke 9. You can find him in the other Gospels. Jesus has been teaching and there's a crowd that have gathered there. And when he's through teaching, his his plan is that he is now going to to, uh, move on. But he looks out and he sees all these people. And he's moved with compassion. He says, we can't send these people away. They've had nothing to eat. They're going to be faint. We cannot send them away like this. In other words, it was not a part of his original plan to feed those people. He intended to preach to them. He intended to to instruct them in the ways of God. But he was not planning to feed them on that day. And yet, when he looked at them, Something about it said, i got to help these people. Does anybody have anything to eat? And they came to him and they said, Master, there's a boy here. And he's got a lunch. It's two fishes and it's five loaves of bread. But what is that among so many? And Jesus said, "Uh, that's okay. Just give that to me. If you'll just... Give me a gift. If you will relinquish what you have and give that to me, then I can do a work with it. And Luke 9 said that he took five loaves of bread and he took two fishes and he began to tear them and he began to break them after he had blessed them. And as he tore them and as he broke them, they began to multiply to the point that they fed 5,000 men and then the women and also the children. And when it was all said and done, they took up 12 baskets of the fragments that remained. It was just one little boy that said, Jesus, I don't have a whole lot, but I got this and I'll give it to you. If you could do anything with it, I'll let you have it, God. And he said, that's all I needed. I just needed somebody to provoke me to work. I needed somebody give me a little something to work with. It may have been two fish and five loaves, but two fish and five loaves was enough for him to begin to bless and break. And I'm telling you, you say, I don't have much to offer. I don't have many gifts. There's not anything real special about me. Just give him what you've got. And it'll provoke God to work. It will provoke God to work. There's a man in Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9. You can read about him. He's a ruler and he's a very important man. And Jesus healed on the way to take care of this man's issue. But 9.18 it says... While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him. Everybody say worship. He worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead. But come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. Come on, Lord. My daughter's dead, but come lay your hand on her, and she shall live. The Bible says in verse 23, And when Jesus came into the ruler's house, and he saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and he took her by the hand, and the maid arose. There was a group of people there that day that were provoking him to wrath. 
But thank God there was a dad that provoked him to work. And when other people were, would have pushed Jesus away, thank God there was a dad who said, I don't care what they're doing, Lord. I'm a desperate man. God, I don't care if they make fun of me for this. I don't care if they mock me for this. Jesus, they can laugh at you and me both. I'm going to be on your side. Because I absolutely need a miracle in my life. I need you to work for me right now, God. I need you to work on my behalf right now, Jesus. And the Bible lets us know that Jesus walked in. And Jesus in his wrath kicked everything out that would not believe. He said, but let me just go ahead and take a mom and a dad. And I can take a girl by the hand and lift her up. What provoked him to work that day? I submit to you, it was when that daddy came worshiping the Lord. When that daddy came and said, oh, Jesus, there's nobody like you. Oh, Jesus, you are great. And you are glorious. And you are majestic. You are God of all. You are the creator of all. You are the first and the last. You are Alpha and Omega. You are beginning and the end. Beside you there is no other. You hung the sun. You hung the moon. And the stars also. Lord you created everything that is. There is nothing that exists without you. It is by you that all things exist. There is nobody like you. And when that man began to worship him. I'm going to tell you. It began to provoke our God. Said you know what. If he'll worship me that way. Then I'm going to go work for him. I'm going to go do something great in his life. In Mark 5. In Mark 5, there's a man, you find him in a cemetery. He's a naked man. He's cutting himself with stones. They put chains on him and he breaks them. They put uh, bonds on him and he breaks loose. Nobody can control him. He is a man that is filled with devils. How many devils does he have? The Bible said that they gave their name as legion. Which meant there were thousands of devils in that man. Thousands of devils in one man. Yet, oh thank God. Yet when Jesus pulled up on the shore of the Gadarenes. And Jesus stepped out of that boat onto the ground. Something began to reverberate in the spirit world. And that man took off running from wherever he was. Whatever tomb he was hiding out in. He come running out like a wild man. And he fell down before Jesus. And the Bible says that he worshipped him. And when that man that was filled with devils began to worship the Lord. I want you to know that even thousands of devils could not keep God from doing a work in his life. A man, hear me, a man full of devils, provoked God to work. And if a man full of devils can provoke God to work, surely a church full of people who love Him, who know Him, who have been touched by Him, if that man can get Jesus to work, don't you know that you can get Jesus to work? Come on and do it with a shout right now. So I say to you today that God will work, but who will let him? I know we're dealing with this virus. You come help me, Brother Bill. We're dealing with this virus right now. This is a virus that is unseeable to the naked eye. You can't see coronavirus. I don't care how good your vision is. You cannot see coronavirus. A human with our limited faculties cannot see this virus. So what do the doctors and the researchers use to look at it? They put it under a microscope. And when they look at it under that microscope, it enlarges the virus to the point that they are able to see what they ordinarily could not see. And so we know that in the atmosphere, there is a virus right now that is moving in our world. The only way you're going to see it, though, is with a special instrument. I say, 
You and I cannot see God with our natural eye. But when I look for Him through the lens of faith. did something you're not supposed to do. Don't tell nobody on me. I was driving down the road. It was a straightaway. I was wondering just how bad my eyes have gotten. You can see where this story is going. I took my glasses off. I know y'all think I kid. But Y'all are all a blur to me. You're a blur. You're a blur. I can't see. I'm driving down the road. I took my glasses off and I looked and I said, Oh my goodness. This is bad. If there would have been, you know, if the road had been washed out in front of me, I wouldn't have seen it. I'd have driven right into it. There were no other cars when I did this. Just disclaimers. At least I couldn't see them. That's right. And then I put my, I I kept them off for, for, I don't know, about 30 seconds. And then I put my glasses back on. We live in, y'all, we live in NEA. Every road's a straight road. I put my glasses back on. Wow. Incredible. What an amazing difference when I look through the lens. I can't see God with my natural eye. I can't see Him. But when I put on the lenses of faith, then I begin to see the work of the hand of the Lord. I was a kid. I started having vision problems. I didn't know how bad it was. I just knew I wasn't able to see the the board. And so, I looked for the board and wouldn't be able to read it. My parents took me to the doctor. And when they got me fitted with glasses and I put them on, I came back to school. I thought, wow, that's amazing. That now I can see this thing that before was so What a sad truth it is that there are people in this world today and they're going around without the glasses on. That's the kind of a church that provoked God to wrath. That's the kind of church that provoked the Lord to anger and frustration. But thank God for people that will put on the glasses of faith. Oh Lord, greater are they that are with us than they that are against us. Oh Lord, greater are you than cancer. Oh God, greater are you than disappointment. God, greater are you than unrealized dreams. You're greater. You are greater. What Elijah's servant looked and saw as a cloud like as unto a man's hand. Elijah said, no, that's the fulfillment of my promise and my prayer. One man saw it As just a little cloud like to a man's hand. But another man said, let me look. Oh no, that's the answer to my prayer that I've been praying. The only difference was how they looked. What's going to drive you and I to the place where we will do absolutely anything to get Jesus to work for us? Is it going to be your faith? Is it going to be your need? Is it going to be your gift? 
Is it going to be your worship? What's going to drive you to the point where you'll do anything to get Jesus to fulfill your need? I'm a crazy guy today because I am so hungry for God to work that I've made up my mind. I'll do anything He says. If He told me Take that jacket off. Take that jacket and just throw it across. If that little act of faith would cause God to move, there goes the jacket. I remember growing up, we used to have a, what did they call it now? The word slips my mind. They take their hankies. They begin to wave them before the Lord. You think that piece of tissue is magic? No, not at all. Why did they do that? I'm going to tell you why they did it. They just felt like if they'd step out doing something, God would begin to work. What are you doing right now, Pastor? I'm doing anything I can. I'll do anything I can to provoke God right now. Because I know there's people listening to me preach. You're going through family trouble in the name of Jesus. God, I'm provoking you to work for them there's people hearing me preach you got sickness in in the name of Jesus work for them God there's people hearing me preach right now you say I don't know what I'm going to in the name of Jesus what are you doing I'm trying to provoke the Lord and I'll do whatever it takes and I don't know what you're going through but if you want to provoke God with me if you will get up on your feet if you will lift your voice and you will begin to do something I am telling you that God is getting ready to work in your family, in your job. Come on and lift your voice right now. Come on and lift your voice right now.